Welcome to 360 Degrees of Healthcare with Dr. Stan, an in-depth look at our industry from our very own Chief Medical Officer, who will talk with other medical and industry professionals on the changing and evolving landscape of the healthcare system from the inside. And now, live from Zero Studios, our very own infectious disease expert, Dr. Stan Schwartz. We are live from Zero Studios. My name is Dr. Stan Schwartz. I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Zero, a digital health company, and also an enthusiast of Mr. Michael Thompson, who we'll talk about in just a moment. I like to look at healthcare from all aspects. I've done so as a practicing doctor. I've done so as a hospital, as a healthcare administrator. I've done so as a coalition director, and as time goes on, more so as a patient. But I hope you enjoy this series. We have a very interesting guest today. This is being recorded live. So if you're watching right now, please feel free to put questions in the questions and answers and we'll try to answer them live. Our guest today is Michael Thompson, president and CEO of the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. He's a great guest, a man with a lot to say. Mike, could you introduce yourself and please tell us exactly what a Healthcare Purchaser Coalition is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm Mike Thompson, and and uh, I lead the National Alliance Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions, which is an umbrella organization for employer coalitions across the country. And so, there's 45 employer coalitions across the country, made up of um, private sector employers, public sector employers, as well as uh, Taft Hartley Union type uh, plans as well. And all of those, all of those uh, participants in the coalitions, you know, typically sponsor a self-insured health plan and they have a, a shared interest in improving uh, health value and, and, and equity of their programs. And, and we bring them together to uh, collaborate to uh, improve. So why are healthcare coalitions critical? Should every city and town have one or should every state have one? And what do they do that is critical to success? Well, no, not every city and state has it, but boy, they are prevalent across the country. I, uh, in almost every major metropolitan area, uh, there is typically a coalition uh, that you can participate in. And, uh, and then uh, in a number of the rural states, uh, you know, states like uh, Wyoming or Montana, New Mexico, Alabama, Maine, uh, very, uh, very diverse in the nature of those uh, coalitions. And, and uh, what is special about regional coalitions is the fact that they're engaged not just with the employers, typically the employers that are headquartered in those communities, uh, but also that they have developed relationships with other key stakeholders in those regions. And, and that can have a, uh, an effective way to bring a collective voice to help to engage and, and influence others uh, in the health system. So someone I know well once said that any company, no matter what they do, if they offer health care, they're in the healthcare business. What's an example of an employer-sponsored coalition that's accomplish something really meaningful that, you know, maybe only a coalition could do? There, there have been a, a number of types of uh, initiatives that coalitions have, 
help to lead. Um, you know, I'll, I'll offer a couple of different examples because it comes in different forms. I mean, sometimes, frankly, the coalitions are effective at essentially just navigating a very complex environment for a lot of, uh, of employers and helping them work together. But sometimes they band together and they, they have a collective voice to measure and engage on results uh, moving forward. So for example, the Washington Health Alliance and uh, the state of Washington uh, work together with other key stakeholders to develop key metrics that they collectively were gonna hold each other accountable to. And we're seeing that even with cost growth targets in other states, uh, state of Massachusetts, state of Rhode Island, that have actually developed kind of joint cost targets and then working with stakeholders to manage to stay within those cost increases uh, in order to kind of collectively work together. Um, They also look at issues around around waste or around um, uh, other initiatives. Almost uh, 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 probably a majority of our coalitions participate in uh, studies like the RAM study that actually looks at hospital pricing uh, on a more transparent basis and uses that to report out. They, they collectively work on uh, patient safety with leapfrog. So they, there's, a, there's a number of issues like there. And then there are a subset of coalitions that actually do direct contracting. They actually work directly with the health systems in their area. They contract with uh, physician and physician groups in that area, they might bring in uh, pharmacy benefit management as well and, and support their employers directly uh, as an alternative to uh, uh, an existing uh, health plan. Is there a good example of a healthcare purchaser coalition which has put out enough data that its employer members can actually purchase based on value, you know, quality, high quality and low cost so that they can become so-called smart purchasers? <clears throat> it's kind of the holy grail, right? Uh, uh, there's no, uh, my experience working with employers and coalitions is they're, they're not looking to buy cheap, they're tr- looking to buy value, like you said. And, right. and, and, um, and if uh, it was a given that, oh, if you want quality, you gotta pay for it, uh, you know, we'd be having much more of a debate than what, um, than what we're seeing, or much less of a debate than what we're seeing. What we, what we have found is we, when we gather metrics through studies like the, the RAND study uh, and look for quality metrics where they're available, either through independent parties like uh, Quantros or, uh, or uh, through leapfrog data or, or even the, uh, the Medicare star program, star ratings. Um, all of those are some, what of indicators of, of uh, performance and, and, and high quality. And universally, what you find is that the price data does not correlate with the quality data, that mm-hmm. you can have a high cost, high quality organization, you could have a high cost, poor quality organization, you could have a low cost, high quality organization, low cost, low cost. And, and uh, a number of coalitions have tried to piece these pieces together to help create uh, more transparency and more uh, uh, more action on helping to move the system both to improve quality and decrease or at least uh, mitigate the increases in costs. Um, I don't think we've got that uh, at 
necessarily the exact right level. Ideally, you would get that down to the physician level or the practice level. Um, uh, but there, there has been progress made in that in that vein. And 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 again, the uh, transparency is is one of the the key elements that employers and coalitions very much value and they and they like to encourage their employees and maybe even incent their employees to go to the better performing uh, providers within their communities. What is the relationship between coalitions and benefit advisors? I mean, do they do they synergize? Do they clash? Do they give different advice? Should are benefit advisors ever parts of coalitions? Uh, it, it really does vary quite significantly. You know, at one level, uh, some benefit advisors may think the coalition is somehow competing with them. I honestly don't see it that way. I, I, I think that there is a very much a difference between what a benefit advisor does and what the coalitions do. The benefit advisors um, typically provide much more tailored advice to each individual employer, uh, really considering all the variables that relate to that employer, the nature of their population, the nature of their history and, and all, those, all those elements. And they'll go deeper as it relates to their specific benefits and benefit mm -hmm. strategies or, or health strategies. Coalitions bring a collective voice and, and a lot of uh, uh, openness to innovation, things you're not doing uh, or not exposed to. And it allows you to get that broader view Many consultants and brokers may actually participate with coalitions as members, and, and I think that's great. Um, it really depends on building a, you know, a valued uh, relationship, if that's going to be the case, though. I mean, if, if they're there to work against the coalition, it's not going to work. I think if, they're, if they see the value that each brings, that, that mutual benefit is there, and, and we have plenty of great examples where... Uh, the consultants or, or, or uh, brokers can be mm -hmm. uh, significant assets to the coalition and its efforts. In a previous talk you and I have had, you talked about the importance of, I wrote it down here, transparency and alignment uh, between benefit advisors, coalitions, and employers. Could you tell our audience about that? Yeah, you know, uh, all of us, uh, when you're, I always say when you're, when you are uh, a plan sponsor, it's a huge job. It's a huge job. I mean, the, running the benefits and, and the healthcare strategy for any organization, any size is really complicated. There's a, you know, there's a thousand moving parts that you need to be aware of. Some of them are legal and some of them are strategic. And, um, and so uh, critical in, in your management is developing a core of trusted advisors, people that you can rely on to bring more depth than you possess yourself. And even at the largest, largest organizations with very sophisticated people running those organizations, they all rely on advisors to, to, to extend their depth, to, to make the best decisions at their organizations. A concern comes into play if those advisors are somehow conflicted in, in, in their, mo their own motivations. And uh, we know that many times today that the business model of intermediaries, whether they're consultants or brokers, uh, can get conflicted because of product relationships they've developed uh, where, they, where they become a significant part of their revenue. 
And, and it, in and of itself, that doesn't mean that you're getting bad advice, but oftentimes you wonder why the advice is always the same, depending on, on which, you know, advisor you talk to, and it's very much aligned with their business interest to do so. And, and I think that's where transparency and a little bit of independence is required on the part of the plan sponsor. You, you want to know, you know, how are your intermediaries, including your advisors, being paid? How do they make their money? And sometimes that's disclosed, and sometimes it's not obvious. And uh, and 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 you want to have an independent source to run things by because you, you want to make the best decision and you have a fiduciary responsibility to, to make the best decision. Typically, these advisors are not fiduciaries under the plan. Uh, they, it, it's not their role. And you as the plan sponsor have to exercise that fiduciary role. And, and so, uh, again, I think advisors and, and, and uh, you know, brokers play a, an important role in the system but you have to be aware, particularly the way this market has evolved, where increasingly they have a shared interest on what decisions you make. For full disclosure, I should mention to the listeners that I do participate in the Medical Directors Advisory Council for the National Alliance. And it's a, an activity which I've really enjoyed doing because it, it brings together a wealth of experience from people who've worked in industry, who practice medicine, who've worked in public health, work for the government and so forth. And the advisory council has put out some really good information about advanced primary care, about expensive therapies like CAR T-cell therapy for cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about these resources and who they're available to, Michael? Yeah, uh, there, you know, I talked about a thousand moving parts and some of them are, are bigger, more strategic kind of core strategies that employers should consider. A good example of that is advanced primary care. That if we invest wisely in primary care as a front end to our, our health strategy, that that can add a lot of value and, and improve health uh, over, you know, health of our, uh, for, our, for our employees and their families over time. And so, um, but even in doing that, we need to be informed by, well, what should I be looking for? Can I believe anybody who you know, puts primary mm -hmm. care on their list that they're the right solution? And we don't believe that. We believe that there are things to be looking for and we put out resources that help uh, employers checklists, if you will, for things they should be looking for when they're talking to, to, to people. And we encourage them to consider various strategies. Then sometimes there are more emerging topics, uh, biosimilars or, or um, um, uh, CBD, uh, you know, um, medical marijuana, very complex topics of their own that, mm -hmm. you know, the average employer is not that educated on. And in the meantime, they're having to make policy decisions around these things and workforce issues. And we try to provide insights. You know, the group you mentioned, the Medical Director Advisory Council, is hugely valuable because it brings clinical leadership. You know, there was a time that many employers had their own medical director to help them manage their health strategy and their uh, for the for their companies. Certainly, at the biggest companies, increasingly there's not as many medical directors in these companies, and that clinical leadership is is frankly critical. And so, what we try to do is bring some of the leading medical leaders in the country together, those with a, an employer type lens 
to, to talk issues through together and then to get the best advice from them on how employers should navigate some of these issues. And when, then we try to document that and pre offer presentations on that. And then sometimes we'll have action briefs or clinical briefs that are supportive of some of these emerging issues. And let me remind our audience, if you are listening live, the Q&A button at the bottom, we'll try to take your questions live as we go along. So going back to these resources at National Alliance, is this something that an employer would have to go through a coalition? And what if an employer doesn't have a coalition but's interested in joining one? Well, it, it's not hard to join a coalition. There's, as I said, there's 45 of them around the country and, and invariably uh, you can join a coalition and in and, and these days of virtual participation, you know, you can get a lot of value even if you aren't physically located where that coalition is. A number of our coalitions represent very wide uh, regional spans. Uh, and obviously you can't travel to all the in-person uh, meetings, but there's still an awful lot of virtual activities and a lot of materials that are distributed. Some of the materials that are distributed through the coalitions are the materials that are uh, developed at the National Alliance level. And, and oftentimes they are the product of collaborations among coalitions. We build on some foundational work that might be done at a coalition and then help to scale that and leverage it out there. And, and you'll, what you'll see is it'll have a National Alliance brand and then that coalition's brand at the top because they're our partner in engaging with employers across the country. And, and, it, uh, and we get great feedback on this material because it, because it's very practical and action-oriented. The one thing we get as, as advice when we do anything, whether it's a report or an action brief or whatever, is don't be afraid to tell me what to do, right? Uh, make it simple because every, I got too many moving parts and I need to have things, steps I should be considering doing, but be very explicit. Don't, don't make me figure it all out myself. Help me understand. That's, so we're very, uh, you know, we put ourselves in the shoes of plan sponsors and try to give them what we think they should do. And then we try to provide the support so they can understand why we think that. You know, I got to look at the draft of the advanced primary care action brief. And I got to tell you, it's, it's really nice to see one place that kind of brings it all together and can help a purchaser to actually recognize and measure what advanced primary care really is, because it's a term we bandy about. And, you know, as Justice Frankfurter once said years ago, you know, I can't define advanced primary care, but I can certainly know it when I see it. He used it in a different context, of yeah. course. Um, Michael, um, National Alliance has uh, several meetings a year, but I know your, your big mothership meeting is coming up in November. And I'll put some information in the show notes, but can you tell us what that meeting is, who it's intended for? Is it just for coalition members? And why should people attend, how long it is, and where it is? Yeah, so the, the National Alliance holds two events a year. And our biggest event, as you said, is in November. It's the uh, annual forum. And it's typically in the DC area. This year it will be in the DC area again. And while uh, many of us have been experiencing virtual events for the last year and a half, uh, or feels that way, um, um, we are gonna be back in person uh, in November. And frankly, we've gotten uh, a great response to, to that conclusion that it's time, it's time to come together. And who's at that event? It's, you know, certainly it's coalitions. We'll probably get over 35 coalitions 
to participate in the uh, annual forum. Uh, but, you know, probably get 100 employers or more. We'll get uh, other stakeholders as well. Uh, and what's, what's uh, great about uh, the annual forum is because of the way it's formatted, there's, there's a number of different vehicles to interact with different people that are participating and to learn about emerging and newer topics or to learn from best practices from what others are doing. And we are very conscious because our coalitions often put on their own events to really try to keep our agenda ahead of the curve, a little bit forward looking uh, and to stretch people's thinking. And, and, um, and we get great feedback uh, on our events, be one, because of the content and the quality of the speakers, uh, two, because of the, the culture of the event. Uh, it, what we find, and what the feedback we hear, is unlike a lot of events, people are you know, just sponges about and very open to talking with everybody, very friendly event. And it's a very engaging way to ask, talk about the issues that you face, learn about emerging issues, and have a, a very collegial opportunity to engage with others uh, who are passionate about what you do. Yeah, the one thing you've often said to me is that all healthcare is local. And the nice part about these annual meetings is that people are not afraid to share their solutions and their innovations because they're not worried about it you know, affecting their own market. Um, where is the meeting going to be? Yeah, the meeting is, is uh, well, first of all, it's November 8th to the 10th. Uh, so it's a half a day in the afternoon on the 8th, full day on the 9th and a half a day in the morning on the 10th. And it's, it's gonna be, you know, right outside of Reagan, not uh, 10 minutes from Reagan uh, Airport in DC. So it's, uh, it's in Arlington, Virginia at the Crystal Maria. And uh, I'll put, as I said, I'll put in the show notes uh, the link. And when do you think the agenda will be available? Agenda should be available. Uh, you know, it's, we're starting to shape it as we speak. We just finished our last event. Uh, and we expect to have something available uh, uh, certainly by the end of August, and if not, if not sooner. So final question from me, Michael. If you had to pick out one showcase accomplishment of any coalition that you think would win the prize for what a coalition has done that has benefited its members and has been really innovative. I hope this isn't a curveball to you, but what would you say, you know, here's what a coalition really did that made a difference. God, there, there's there's different stories in different areas. I, to, to tell you the truth, um, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Indiana, you know, broke broke glass on a new way of looking at hospital costs, uh, and they published a report that blew people away. Going, whoa, we had no idea, and it turns out it was it was more serious in Indiana than any other state. And, uh, and it has helped to transform the conversation in Indiana, but as importantly, it's helped to transform the conversation across the entire country. Uh, and it's the RAND report that, that emerged and it started with one coalition there. Uh, Washington State Health Alliance has developed a, a very comprehensive set of metrics that they are doing to manage quality and, and reduce waste 
working collaboratively with stakeholders in their region. And they meet every year to continually uh, uh, work on that. And then I'll, I'll take a coalition, a relatively small coalition like Rhode Island, which is working collaboratively with the state and the key stakeholders in Rhode Island on, on managing towards a cost growth target. And uh, they, are, they are collecting data every year and mutually agreeing on how quickly costs will increase uh, in that state uh, with key stakeholders and having results. So there, there's lots of, of those great stories and there's lots of issues. You know, we do a lot of work in mental health. Uh, you can look at it. There's a lot of issues in the health area that coalitions have had very positive results on. So it's coalitions matter. So final question then, can you just tell us this accomplishment with the RAND report? What was it and what did they learn from it? And I'll go ahead and put some links in the show notes. Yeah, so the RAND report um, was a study that, that looked at hospital costs as a percentage of Medicare. And Medicare was used as a benchmark for multiple reasons, one of which was uh, Medicare adjusts for a lot of the social goods that hospitals do. You know, they pay uh, hospitals with uncompensated care more than they do right. hospitals that don't have uncompensated care or whatever, right? And secondly, it's a common benchmark. And what, what they found was a great deal of variation. Some hospitals were doing just fine at 150% of Medicare, 125% of Medicare, and others were charging 700% of Medicare. Gee. And, and uh, you know, all of these hospitals are in network and we're giving discounts. So it, I think it just, it, it created a new way of thinking about what is value. And yes, we should recognize difference in quality. And yes, we should recognize difference in, in social needs and social goods, but what we're seeing is not reflective of a market at all. What we're seeing is people using predatory pricing in the commercial market. And with that, it has empowered the employers to approach policymakers and stakeholders on what to do about it. And I think that level of transparency and that level of engagement is, is what made that such a, a special project. Have you seen any meaningful changes come from this yet? We do. We do. We see some, some activities at the policy level. We, see, we, we certainly see a change in the conversation with the health systems. You know, they're, they're increasingly shooting back, but, but honestly, we've changed the conversation so that they know that somebody's watching and, and, and holding them accountable. You know, are we there yet? No. Uh, the, there are structural problems in the system that need to be addressed. But I think we feel more empowered and, and more knowledgeable on how to, how to go about doing that. So, it, you know, all of these are a process, but it, I think it has made a difference. Great. Hey, Michael, we're about out of time here today. And I want to thank you very much. We appreciate your joining us. And you are an excellent conversationalist and a great advocate for healthcare. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, if your company purchases healthcare, you're in the healthcare business. I will uh, put in the show notes some of the links that Mike talked about today. And I think I can put the link to the latest version of the RAND study, which to me is astounding that there's such a difference in price just when you go from one state line to another, which to me makes no sense. 
So to our audience, stay healthy, take care. If you haven't taken the vaccine, get it. If you've taken the vaccine and you know someone who hasn't gotten it, have them get it too. And we will see you next month for another show. Thanks very much. And all of you have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the time with our very own Dr. Stan for 360 degrees of healthcare with Dr. Stan Schwartz, a part of Zero Studios. Tune in, subscribe, and review our podcast to keep current with the ins and outs of the medical and healthcare industry from the inside out.